Before we begin today's talk, let us all take a moment. Remind ourselves how fortunate we are to be in the presence of the Noble Triple Gem, have its and receive its blessings. To be able to see, hear, comprehend, assimilate, reflect on the Dhamma, liberate ourselves, and let us take a moment to remind ourselves that all of this has been made possible because of Him the Master, he who was undefeated, unparalleled, unequaled, the fount of wisdom, the source of compassion, the supremely enlightened one. So let us bring our hands together to pay homage to the Magnificent One. And as we do so, let us also remind ourselves that this veneration goes far beyond a mere veneration. It is a reminder to ourselves why we are here, our purpose, what we hope to get out of being here today, and a promise to ourselves to free ourselves of all suffering and help others to do so along the way. Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arhato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa. There's one thing in life that people find so easy to do, and so they do it. But they don't understand why they're doing it. But they do it because it's easy. And they also do it because they don't see any other choice. It's a four-letter word, and I think pretty much 
everyone here in this room, myself included, would have on more than one occasion caught ourselves claiming to be in this state. This is a state of being busy. You're all busy, aren't you? Very. Not just busy. Very busy. We're all very busy. But as I said, people are very busy because they have no choice, or at least they think they have no choice. People are very busy because that's a fantastic excuse for doing what you ought to be doing. If you just take a moment to think about what it is that people say they're busy with. It's doing everything but the one thing that you need to be doing. Which is why I say it's a fantastic excuse. Because when you say you're busy, no one interferes. In fact, when you say you're busy, your expectation, and people understand it, read it that way, is it's time they took a step back and let you carry on. Keep calm and be busy. Both the t-shirt. Now I want you all to take a moment and ask yourselves, are you someone who's busy? Are you a busy person? Not right now. Right now, you're just sat there watching me. I'm doing all the talking, so I'm the busy man here. But outside of here, you're very busy, aren't you? So much so that it is quite fashionable to say that you are busy. These days, if you talk to someone and they're not busy, you think, hmm, I don't know. Is he the right kind of guy to be spending any time with? Because if he's not busy, then surely he's not very accomplished. He doesn't have a lot going for him. He's not well connected. He can't be, because if he's not busy, then surely he must be a loser. Now I want you all to take a moment and ask yourselves, when was the last time you felt busy? When was the last time you said you were busy? And whether you said it or not, you felt you were busy because you had so many things to do. Places to go, people to see, things that had to get done, the chores, unfinished business all the time, transactions to make, deals to be finalized, documents to be signed. Ah. 
Busy, busy, busy. Busy bees, huh? It has been instilled into our minds that being busy is quite fashionable and is part of being an important person as well. When you ring someone, for instance, and if they're always available, the moment you ring them, first ring they answer the phone, chances are you're probably not going to be ringing them again. But if you ring them and their secretary answers the phone, or maybe their personal assistant, and says, I'm afraid Mr. Smith is quite busy right now, but I can take a message and he'll get back to you as soon as possible. Oh, Mr. Smith must be a very important man. <clears throat> busy. What are people busy doing, actually? This is the question I want us to ask, ask ourselves today. What it is that people are busy doing? Do they know what they're doing? Do they know why they're doing it? Have they taken a moment to check with themselves whether that's the right thing to be doing? Are those things getting them anywhere? Are they moving closer to achieving their ambitions, fulfilling their purpose? We all know that we are all united in one thing. Unanimously, we must all agree that the one thing we have all come here for, and by here I don't necessarily mean under this one roof, I mean the reason we have all come into this world as men, women, black, white, male, female, and so on, is because we are all looking for that one happiness. Although people are doing different things to be happy, name one thing you do because you don't want to be happy. Name one thing you do if I ask you why you tell me that you do it because you want to be unhappy. Frustrated, annoyed, or disappointed? None, right? No. So the underlying purpose behind every single endeavor, every activity, every exercise you do, is this one unwavering purpose, and that is to be happy. I had the good fortune of meeting one of my teachers yesterday. I had the opportunity to give something back. You know, I always, keep, I always keep going on about how it is my teachers and my parents who have always been the guiding light for me. And what you see today is a result of their efforts, what they have done for me. So to my last breath, whenever I'm presented with the opportunity, I will be the first right up there. If it is a teacher, if it is my parents, I'm always there for them. So I had the good opportunity to meet one of my teachers 
from university. And she had come down to Sri Lanka for some project or some something. So somehow she'd managed to find out that I'd, I'd ordained and I was at the monastery. So you can imagine I kept it very quiet when I packed up my things and left. Because not many people can understand this choice that one has to make when the time is right. So I think this was after about 10 years or so that I, I was meeting her. <clears throat> She'd aged quite a bit. And she was still busy. So I asked her, Madam, what what brings you here? She said, I wanted to come and see you. To see where you've gone in life, what, what happened to you. She said, last time I tried to get hold of you, it was your brother on the other on the other end of the line, and he explained to me all that had happened, and I was shocked. So I came to see what was going on. So I sat down and I spoke with her. And there was one thing I wanted to get across to her, and I hope she did. I think she did. She'd actually come to see me. Just before she left, she asked me, so how can I keep contact with you? Oh, no, no, don't be, don't be too hasty. Because I didn't give the answer you expect. She said, how can I keep contact with you? I said, Madam, do you remember when I first came to see you? I wanted to keep contact with you. And you gave me something. In fact, she was the teacher who taught me computer networks when I was at uni. I said, look around and you'll see all the things that you did for me. And to, to this day, the reason that we have all this set up the way it is, and we stream the Dhamma sermons to over 10 to 15 countries worldwide, 600 or so young people throughout the world benefit from the Buddha's teachings. All this is from what you taught me. Believe it or not, I'm still connected to you, madam. I'm connected to you because you gave me something to take with me when we bid farewell to each other. It is what you gave me that keeps me connected to you. So now you want to be, you want to remain connected to me? I asked her. She said, yes. She said, are you on Skype? Are you on WhatsApp? Do you have a number? I said, I'm on YouTube. Now people ask me, are you on social media? Yeah. YouTube. 
I said, Madam, I'm ever so grateful that you have come all the way to see me. I said, now it's time you let me go. But I'm going to give you something to remain connected to me. I said, there's you there and there's me here. I'm going to put this right there. This is what happened to me and this is what I want to happen to you. Take that and leave me. Because you came all the way thinking you wanted to see me. And although you've now seen me, you think you've seen your old student. The truth is, you came here for that, but you don't know that. You came here for the truth. You came here to see what happened to me, right? This happened to me. Can you see it? This is what happened to me. Nice, huh? So I said, you're not going to be able to get hold of me on Skype or on WhatsApp. And I'm not going to be available on the other end of a telephone call. But from here on, I want you to feel connected to me. Connected to me through the Dhamma. Because it is the Dhamma that set me free. And I recall how you were more than a teacher to me, and indeed she was. Uni life was the first time I went away from home in boarding. And she was more than a teacher. She was like a second mother to me. She had Indian origins, so she could relate to our culture and so on. And she gave me a lot while I was with, with the university. And I said, I remember how much you dedicated and committed yourself to doing the best you could for your students, helping them build their lives to become successful people. And I walked away with everything you taught me. And today I want you to walk away with everything I'm going to teach you. And then we had a talk. I explained to her, as I said, she'd aged quite a bit. All the things that she'd been doing in her life, the things that had kept her, within air quotes, busy, did nothing other than age her. Now you might wonder, well, isn't that, on the things that she taught me that got me here, isn't she who helped me? one of the teachers who helped me to be here today? Yes. Perhaps all that was done so that one day she would meet me in another guise. And so she did. I want you all to take a moment and think about the impact that you have had on other people's lives. Take a moment to think about it for a second. 
the impact that you have had on other people's lives. How much you have been able to transform other people, help them get up on their own two feet, stand up tall, rise to the challenge, face them off, combat them without failing. Young people, middle-aged elderly people, young girls, young boys, men and women, You deserve something in return for that, don't you? For all that change, all that positive impact you've made in other people's lives, don't you feel you deserve something for that? You should. That is what you're getting right now. There's a fantastic saying, in the service of others we serve ourselves. For whatever you've done in the service of others, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to serve you. So let me go. Let go of me. It is not me you need. It is what has happened to me that you need. That is the Dhamma. So whenever you come here to our monastery, you will find not best friends, but you'll find noble friends. Long gone are the days where I used to look for a good mate or someone to be a good buddy. Two and four. Long gone are the days where I used to look for a good friend. We are not in the business of making friends. We are in the business of being noble friends mutually. I'm trying to explain to you the difference. When you have a good friend, you need them to be there when you need them. You need them to be there when you're in trouble. When you're in a spot of bother, you need their presence. Not so with noble friends. With noble friends, you need what they have before you get into trouble. We are not a repair shop. It doesn't say that outside, does it? Jetavanarama repair shop or garage. We are not in the business of mending broken hearts, but rather we are in the business of galvanizing hearts so that they don't rust in the first place. That is what we are here for. Of course, we get the odd customer who comes in from from time to time and says, my wife has left me, my husband has cheated on me, my parents have passed away, my young boy has eloped with a girl or the other way around, my great-grandmother, I still see her, and she died three years ago. We get all sorts. So we do try and mend, but the real job of a noble friend is not to mend. You see, a glass once broken is a broken glass. However much effort you put into 
you, you put into bring it all, bringing it all back together. But what if you could change a glass, take it and do something to it so that it doesn't break? That is the business we're in. Not to make your mind up when something happens. To fix your mind so that it doesn't break. That is why I have a lot of respect for those who come to us. Not when times are tough, not when things have broken down, not when life is falling apart. By all means, they're welcome. But I have a lot of respect for people who are here when they're, when they're just fine. I have a lot of respect for young children and the parents who bring them here, teenagers, and the parents who bring them here. Quite often you see people think that the temple, monks, or other types of clergy are people who we go to when things aren't working out right. Hmm? When they have difficult times in life, that's when you go to the temple. I think we have to change that mindset. I'm not in the business of changing the whole world, but I have, you have given me the authority, you have given me the privilege of talking to you and influencing you, even by a single word. So thank you for that. I want you to understand that the Dhamma is not here to fix you when we break. This is not the surgery room where we cut you up and stitch you up, having fixed what's broken. This is where we immunize you for the vicissitudes of life. Come here not after you're angry and you've broken half the ornaments you had at home. Come here not after you've torn, you've given someone a piece of your mind and now that relationship is broken and now you're trying to wonder, you're wondering how I can fix it again. You're still welcome. But really what this place is for is to help you when you're just fine. When things are working out all right. Because when that happens, you're simply looking for a straw to hold on to as you're being washed away. But if you come here now, when things are fine, when things are going in your favor, now you have come here to understand life. Not to get out of a problem, but to understand life. This is the philosophy of life. That is what the Buddha's teaching is. Just think for a moment about the people who renunciated back in the Buddha's time, especially the first 20 years. Particularly the first 20 years. They were people from a very good background. They were people who were very successful. Rich people, merchants, ministers, kings, princesses, queens. They had not a worry in the world. 
They had people to look after them. They had all the riches that they could ever want. Everything just going for them. Emperors. But they came to the Buddha. Not because they had a problem that they needed to solve. I mean a mundane problem. But rather they wanted to understand life. What they all came here, what they all came with was saying, Sir, we're just busy people. We're very busy people. Is there another way? I'm a king and I'm busy. I'm a minister and I'm very busy. I'm a young prince and I'm going to be very busy very soon. Is there another way? So in the room today, I'm sure we'll have teachers, doctors, engineers, lawyers, professors, so on. You're all very busy people. And you probably have things going for you right now. But there will be times where things will start falling apart and you'll wonder what just hit the fan. I'm not going to say what. Then it's all going to be a mess and then you're going to scratch your head wondering now all that's to do is pick up the pieces. Where do I go from here? What do I do? At least let's just go to the temple. Maybe the Swami Mahansa can help us. That's okay. You're still welcome. But that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to help you so that you don't fall. You don't break. You don't collapse under the burden of life. That is what this philosophy is for. And I will try and take some time to explain that philosophy to you so that you can walk away strong, unwavering, amidst all the challenges that come your way. Just imagine if you could be someone who never gets angry. Wouldn't you like that? Nothing in the world can take away your peace. Nothing. How does that feel? Today you take an anger management course. Not today, but up until now. You've gone to anger management programs. How do you manage anger when it comes to you? How do you... How do you... Uh, what do you call it? Uh, how do you uh, use it effectively? You know, that all that energy that's bubbling up, how do you manipulate it so that it can be used proactively? Because I say anger is a very human, very, very natural emotion. You just need to learn to tame it. I think not so. I think there can be a, a you without anger. Because it's not the mind's job to be angry. It's the mind's job to be at peace. It's the mind's job to be able to accept anything and everything. And be at peace. I want to show you how. Think about the last time you got angry. Was it early this morning? Was it last night? And by anger, I don't mean necessarily, you know, when you go, you know, ape. I don't mean necessarily that. I mean, when, you know, when you feel frustrated, when you feel annoyed, 
when you feel bothered, agitated, when someone comes and pokes at you and you go, what? Excuse me? When someone steps on your foot, when someone takes up your parking space, ever had that happen? You drive up looking for a parking spot at the supermarket and you, oh, I've got one. And by the time you shift into reverse gear, someone's already putting their car in that space. I've seen when those, in such instances, sometimes windows start going down. Windows start going down, fingers start coming up. I'm not going to say which finger. Yeah, I, I've, I've been there. I've lived, I've lived out there so I know what, what the zoo is like. Is that too harsh? <laughs> How can you call a human being a human being if they can't control their emotions? If they can't be on top of their emotions, if they can't be on top of how they respond to external stimuli, right? Why do you say that's a human being? Why do you, why do you refer to them as an intelligent species? <clears throat> because four-legged creatures, they are by their very nature, Slaves of nature. In, in other words, they immediately and without thinking, they have to respond instinctively to what goes on outside. But you and I, we don't have to be that way. We have intelligence. We have the power of thought. We can think and we can act. You have thought and you have acted. That is why you're here today. Just ask yourselves for a moment, why are you here today? It's not for the food, is it? I won't come here for the food. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So you haven't come here for the food. You haven't come here because you've got nothing better to do on a Saturday morning. I'm sure of that. You're all busy people. But I think it's time we figured out what this being busy is all about and whether it's the right kind of busy and how do we apply this philosophy this is not a religion Buddhism is not a religion people can claim it to be but that is not what I have come here for so when I when my teacher met me yesterday I said madam what you see right now is simply me conforming to the norm this is not what happened to me. I've shaved my head, I've got a robe, and I have my meal in an arms bowl. That is simply me conforming to custom. That is the culture. That is the tradition. That is what I have to be. That is what I have to adhere to. What happened to me, you can't see. This came after. Something else came before. That you can't see but that you'll hopefully see in the words that I'm going to give to you, in the, in the message that I'm going to share with you. Because she asked me, what, is this, what, is, what did your guru teach you that did this to you? And I said, well, listen up and I will explain to you. So listen up and I will explain to you. 
what my guru did to me. I was once a man, just like you, wandering. I was wandering in an ocean of possibilities because they said, the world is your oyster. So I went wandering, looking for my oyster. Because they said, if you find that oyster, inside there you'll find a beautiful pearl that is most precious. And it will grant you all the riches and the wishes that you could hope for. So I went wandering, looking for my pearl, looking for my oyster. And then I found this man who had something he wanted to share. Now you know this story, but I like listening to it. So you're going to have to hear it again. So I met this man and he shared his message with me. And I'm going to tell you what I learned. I'm going to tell you what that did to me. He explained to me or rather he wanted me to take a moment to ask myself whether all the efforts that I have made in my life in the pursuit of this one thing that we call happiness was ever achieved. He asked me, what things have you been doing in your life thus far? And I had a whole list of things I'd been doing in my life. I was a young man, busy, busy doing lots of things, being with friends, studying, making money, going places. So all these things I'd done in my life, and I had planned to do into the future as well, and I was doing at that time, and so he asks me, all these things that you're up to, have you achieved what you wanted? And I gave what you might think is a reasonable answer. Well, yes, because doing these things make me happy, so I keep on doing it. Now that is probably where you are right now as well. There are lots of things that you keep doing because they make you happy. Yeah? Now we have to stop there for the next question he asked me. If there's something in this world that makes you happy, why do you have to do it twice? I'm going to try and come up with an answer to that. If there's something in this world that you do to make you happy, why do you have to do it twice? When do you see the message? Thank you. Try again. When you go to the fair. Hmm? Or, I remember as a young, chick, young kid, they used to have uh, Coca-Cola bottles on the lids underneath. When you take off the, uh, the thing, they had those prizes. Yeah, Remember? 
Or are you too young for that and me too old for that? There's a little plastic thing. You take it off and on the back of that, they had little, uh, you, could, you could win prizes, all sorts, right? But most of them had this one message on that. Most of them. What did it say? Thank you. Try again. Hmm? Seldom would you find anything. Like those days they used to have uh, pens, maybe books. Uh, I was always after the voice recorder. So you could get a voice recorder. I think if they made a billion bottles, there was one in there that said you'd won the jackpot. So we were all after that one. We were all after, always after the one. But time and time again, it said, thank you, try again. So what did you do? We tried again. Let's go back to the original question. You do lots of things in life because you want to be happy. So why do you buy the same bottle twice? Because every time you do it, is it not because at the end of that you feel, thank you, try again. Now there's plenty of evidence in the room today. And I'm so glad that we have a good mix here. I can see there are children as young as, how old are you, Buddha? Ten. Oh, fantastic. I'm not, don't worry, it's not, it's all right. I'm not going to ask the number at the other end. How old are you, Dua? Twelve. See, we have members in the audience from ten to twelve. The adults in the room, don't worry. I'm not going to ask you. So we have a a breadth of experience here. Right from 10 to the ripe old age of 12. (laughs) We have a good mix in the audience today, but all of you here today. Why are you all here today? Why are you here? Why did you come to my home and not I came to your home? Because you're still trying. If you had found jackpot, believe you me, I'd come looking for you. But today you have come looking for me. Now, ignore me. I'm just trying to get a message across to you. You have come not looking for me, you've come looking for that. See, all the experiences you have had in your life thus far, right from the age of 10 to 12, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, can I keep pushing further? 80s, oh, 1980s. Sorry, I'm in 1980s. <laughs> all these years of having lived and all the things that you've been doing, you've taken all these wonderful, lovely journeys, you know, up, down, here, there, left, right, and you've all come back here again. It's almost like you've gone full circle. Why do I say you've gone full circle? Because when you were a human being in your last birth, perhaps you were a granny. Where do grannies spend most of their 
retired life at the temple, right? Yeah, so you've gone full circle. You're back at the temple. No, especially on a poya day, right? If you want to find where the grannies are in Sri Lanka, you know, they're all in the temple. Because they have lived a life looking for something, couldn't find it. So they've come back to the temple hoping, well, now no one's accepting me. I can't go to the club now. They won't let me in. Oh, has it, has it changed now? <laughs> I can't find another partner anymore, you know, too late for that. I'm not accepted anywhere else, so the only place that they'll take me as I am is at the temple. No one's judging, no one's casting judgment, so I'll just go there, sit down, find a nice wall to put my back to, Hmm? and no one's going to bother me for the next two and a half hours. So that's where you put a comma, last birth. And then you've gone back full circle. Only this time, you've come here early enough. And not before it's too late. See, there's a, a good mix in the audience today for the young people in the room to look around and ask this question. Was it worth it? Let me elaborate what I mean by that. See, if I got that young boy, this young Putta, to come up on stage, turn around and look at you. <clears throat> you are my specimens for today, right? You are my guinea pigs. So no offense. I want you to get the message here. Right? Ignore the faces, ignore the people. This is just a message. This is a very powerful message. If that young Buddha comes up here on stage, turns around and look at you, and if he could read you and look at all the things you've done in your lives, yeah, in the audience he'll see people who society accept as very successful people, because you are. Perhaps affluent, perhaps powerful, perhaps well-connected. And yet, they're all here. Because you see, growing up, we believe that it's when we grow up, we are going to be happy. That is why when you were a kid, you always wanted to grow up. You wanted to be like your dad. You wanted to be like your uncle. You wanted to be like the guy, the the, the gentleman next door because he had a car and he drove around in it and he thought, one day I'm going to get one of those. These young children in the audience, if they came up here and if if I ask them, what is your ambition? And they'll say, I want to be this, I want to be that. I'm sure we'll be able to find someone in the audience who can put up their hand and say, yep, that's me. So they're all here. Meaning, they've all gone round and they've all come back here. Now this might sound like I'm insulting you. No. I have a lot of respect for all of you for having made the choice to be here today. Then we could ask one of the other children, maybe one of the teenagers in the audience, and say, Dua, what do you want to do? 
And she might say, I want to find my Prince Charming. And I want to get married. And I want to have a family. So then we'll ask the audience, put your hand up if you've done all those things. And then there'll be hands going up. Yep, we've done that, we've done that, we've done that. I thought I found my Prince Charming. I thought I found my Rapunzel. And then we had a family. And we are all back here again. So however you define this success in life, the fact of the matter is we are all back here. We've all gone full circle. Meaning, it's the same message that was on that Coca-Cola lid. Thank you. Try again. Although you're all united in your purpose, you've all done very different things in life and none of them have actually worked out. That is why you're here today. You have made the conscious choice to be here because you're still looking for something. Let's be honest, no one twisted your, your arm to get here, did they? No one held a gun to your head and say, temple today or else. No one? No one forced you to be here? No? You're all out here out of your own volition. Yeah? It's not for the food. Hmm? Yeah. And it's free. <laughs> So you're all here because you're still looking for something. I'm glad you've all come here. Because I have that thing that you've been looking for. And I want to give you that. You have all been very busy in your lives. Dear children, if you see, if you just look around the room, you can pick what do you want to be busy doing. There's a, you know, you're spoiled for choice. What would you like to be busy doing? Because no matter what you're going to be busy doing, you're all going to be back where? Back here. Like he did. He was busy doing lots of different things. He went around knocking on every door. He went around the houses, tried becoming a king, tried becoming an emperor. Right, becoming a wheel-turning monarch. Tried every single thing. And then he came back here. Where he found the answer. In fact, you know, this is not called the Buddha Sasana because the Buddha came here. This is called the Buddha Sasana because the Buddha stopped here. This is not what he started. This is where he stopped. That is why this is called the Buddha Sasana. This is where you'll all stop. So take a good deep breath. You can now relax. This is where you can stop. That endless journey that you were on, now there's a light at the end of that tunnel. That exhaustion that you had to live with, the burden that you had to carry on your shoulders, the pains that you have to endure, the heartaches that you had to put up with, 
those broken relationships and the pain they caused? All the times that you were cheated on and how it tore at your heartstrings? All the times where you lost your loved ones and you didn't know how to face that? I'm taking you down memory lane. So hold my hand tight in case you get lost. Because I want you to come back. You know, either it's there in the past or it's going to be there in the future. You have all come here knowing, you know, you, you all formed relationships knowing that one day you're going to have to say goodbye. Hmm? There was just one or two relationships, maybe three, which you formed not knowing that. Perhaps it was your mother, your father, and your siblings. At that time, you didn't know that these relationships were meant to end. But every other relationship, you knew that there was an end to it. I mean, you know, sometimes I do wonder why it is that people, human beings who are, who are born with this intelligence and the power to think, right, with intellect, why it is that they don't realize the inevitable is yet to happen. When they look around them, you know, they can see how things are falling apart for other people. Cancer, old age, illness, disease, decay, and the ultimate death. You know, on your way here, how many anichavata sankaras did you come past? How many hospitals did you drive past? How many sick, how many poor did you come, did you drive past? How many ailing people did you did you did you drive past? But most people, for most people, that's not enough to get them thinking. Because it's happened to somebody else is not enough for people to realize that it's going to happen to them. So really, you know, anyone in his in his in his sane mind, man or woman, the first duty that they must have unto themselves is to find a way to remain unshaken in the face of those challenges, shouldn't they? Because if you can't stop the challenge, if you can't stop the problem, now you have to find a way to face it. It's like you, you can't stop rain. So what do you do? You carry an umbrella. People have the intelligence to do that. But what they don't have the intelligence to do is when they see, you know, the inevitable up right up ahead of them, they don't have the time because they're far too busy to fix themselves up so that they don't break when they hit them. Guy gets into a car, he puts on his seatbelt, but he doesn't take the time to come and fix himself before he gets himself into an accident. And I mean psychologi psychologically. So this is the Buddha Sasana because this is where you're all going to stop. I'm going to show you how. First things first though. As my, as I was discussing with my teacher yesterday, because I, you know, she's of a different faith. Buddhism is not about stopping rebirth. So let's get that out of your heads. Because if you ask me, 
prove that rebirth happens and then I'm up, I'm, I'm game. Proving that rebirth happens is going to take us some more time and that time you don't have. Because if it's only after you understand what I have to tell you will you begin to realize that it does exist, but first you have to, you know, it's a catch-22. It's once you understand this, you understand that. But if you say, let me understand that first and then I'll listen to this, it doesn't work like that. So therefore, all we say is, put that to a side. This is not about stopping rebirth. So does rebirth happen? Who cares? Are we here to stop that? No. I'm not going to ask you to accept anything out of faith. But there's one thing that you can accept without faith. And that is, there are problems in your life. You have problems. There are things that keep you up at night. There are things that hurt you. There are things that cause you pain. Are you all in agreement with that? There are things that cause you pain. Do you know that that's a choice you have? You have a choice. You always make the wrong choice. That is why you're in pain. Events inherently have no power upon you to make you angry, to make you upset, to cause you pain. They inherently have no power. You let them. Meaning, you make that choice. You make that choice because you allow your mind to work in a certain way. And that happens because you don't understand what I'm about to say. Or you haven't yet understood. The very things that, all the things that we've done in our lives, we have done expecting the next thing to make you happy. Remember, we talked about this a moment ago. <clears throat> try again. Yeah, every time it was try again. Didn't work out, so try again. Your mind, by default, is in a happy state. You don't have to do anything to be happy. That's the first thing we need to try and get into our, into our minds. These children have nothing to do, they, they, there's nothing they need to do to be happy. You have nothing you need to do to be happy. You are happy as it is. You are content as it is. You are fulfilled as it is. So then why don't you feel that? Why don't you feel happy? If you are happy as it is, if the mind is happy by default, then why don't you feel that way? Why do you feel like you have to have that ice cream? Why do you feel that you have to go to the park? Why do you feel that you have to watch the movies? Why do you feel that you have to ring a friend? Why do you feel that you have to hold someone's hand for that? Why do you feel that you are not happy and you have to do something to be happy? That is because of wrong view. It's what you have allowed yourself to believe. The truth is, you are happy as you are. Now you might find it difficult to believe what, I'm, what, I've, what I've just explained there, what I've at least, at least stated there, so let me explain to you. Why is it that I say that you are happy as you are? And it is the things that you do 
in the pursuit of happiness that steals your happiness. Do you know how a mind is born? How a thought is born? You know how a baby is born? You know how a star is born? You know how a bird is born? But do you know how a thought is born? I'm talking about you. Not because they don't teach that for science. They don't teach that for math. They don't teach that for biology or chemistry or physics or geography. But they'll teach you how planets are born, won't they? They'll tell you how two asteroids, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a mass and then one asteroid comes and collapses and then that breaks off a part of it and they go, now you have a planet and you have a satellite, a moon. They'll tell you how that's born. They'll tell you how the sun was born. They'll tell you how the solar system came into being, but they won't tell you how you are born, as in how you feel that you are yourself, how a thought is born. Do you know how a thought is born? What gives? We've been spending all our time trying to understand the world around us, but never did we stop to understand how we work. Do you hear that? Knock, knock. Hmm? So what should you say when I say knock, knock? Hmm? You. I just gave rise to you. I just gave birth to you. You're like, what? I'm going to give birth to you, okay? Happy birthday. <laughs> Put your hand up if you just understood what I explained there. Yeah, go on. Good. Good. Are you ready to be born again? Let me break that down. See, it's so simple. This is so simple. This is not rocket science. So simple. The mind has a purpose, like all things. This has a purpose. It's a voice recorder. This has a purpose. It's a napkin. This has a purpose. It's a microphone, a saucer, a cup, a clock, a pen. There's nothing in this world that comes into being because it has no purpose. If something has no purpose, it soon becomes extinct. In fact, not soon. The very moment it has no purpose, it becomes extinct. Kaput. So everything you see around you is here because it serves a purpose. You are mind and body. Now I'm trying to teach you how to not be angry. 
and I'm going to, I'm going to try and explain to you how you can stop. Yeah. You are mind and body. Are you all in agreement that you are mind and body, or are you something else as well? So like the body gets soiled, the body, you know, if you go out and play, you have to take a wash because you get mud, right? So you can have a body that is soiled, in the same way you can have a mind that is soiled. But ultimately, it's just mind and body. These are the two things that make you up. So if there's any study that you needed to do about yourself, it is these two things that you need to study. What is the mind and what is the body? So simple. When you feel unwell, say you feel sick, you feel uh, you have a headache, you feel a backache, right? You go to the doctor. And the doctor examines you, maybe does a few more checks just to make sure, and then they'll give you a prescription. Some kind of medication. They'll do some therapy and you'll be healed. Meaning, when the body is broken, it can be fixed. And the same is the same goes for the mind. When the mind is broken, it can be fixed. Your mind is broken. Do you agree? That your mind is broken. Why do I say that? Why do you agree? You can't just agree for the sake of it. Why do you say your mind is broken if you say so? How do you know your mind is broken? How do you know when the car is broken? When you turn the ignition, you just hear the cranking noise, but the car doesn't start. Hmm? So when it's making that noise, you know, a noise that it shouldn't be, you know it's broken. Like a squeaky wheel. When it's making that squeaking noise, you know it's something's not right. Then you go and put some grease or something, right? Your mind is making noises. Mm, yeah, isn't it? <clears throat> Doesn't your mind make unnecessary noises? Isn't there a voice at the back of your head? Going, I'm only smiling at you because I want to be nice to you, but, you know, meet me under the bridge after eight. And I'll show you who's boss. There are noises that your mind makes which you are not comfortable with. Yes or no? Who here likes being angry? Come on, put your hand up. I enjoy being angry. Because, you know, then that's, that's good news for us. Hmm? We can all get together and start making you angry. But you can't run. You have to stay here. Because you just said you like being angry. Or how about when you have, when you want something, when you feel you really want something and you can't get it, it's forbidden. Like forbidden love. When there are things, when there are objects that you desire, but they don't belong to you and they can never be. Come on. You've been there. Something you wanted, but you can't have it. But that doesn't stop you wanting it. You want it, nonetheless. Now there's a voice at the back of your head going, 
I, how I wish I was free of this. How I wish I didn't want this. Or maybe there are some habits that you have gotten yourself into. And you want to break them. But they are habits nonetheless. And you know that this habit is unproductive. But you can't break it. No? For some it will be pretty obvious. Like maybe smoking. For others it will be things that they do when no one else is watching. Remember last week we talked about this? Who are you when no one's watching? Perhaps at the end of that you feel, why? Why again? I feel deflated. I didn't want to do it, but I couldn't help myself. And you're always longing for a day where you can break free from that, but you don't know how. So your mind is broken. And then when you see someone else doing it, whatever that might be, you'll say, stop it. It's wrong. Don't do that. Or you'll be glad they don't say, say back. They turn around and say, well, why don't you stop first? Maybe it's watching TV. You know you watch too much of it. You want to stop it, but you can't help it. Maybe it's browsing the internet. You know you want to stop it, but you can't help it. You just you know, It's like an addiction. Maybe it's Facebook, maybe it's your Instagram, maybe what, you know, whatever the case might be. You wanna, you want to stop it. Been there? You want to stop it, but you can't. They have a, they have a wonderful saying for you know, they say the mind is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's fantastic. You know, make a scapegoat out of the flesh. Hmm? They say the mind is willing, but the flesh is weak. Stop it, stop, 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 you stop there. Huh? Just make a scapegoat out of, out of, out of this, this innocent arm. Let's, let's go ask the, the hand, you know, why, why do you do those things? You know, you only need simple biology for that. The hand's gonna say, oh, I don't know. Someone sent me a signal. So I had to, I had to respond. Who sent the signal? They'll say the, the motor neuron sent me the signal. That's where I got the signal from, right? Let's go ask the neurons. And they'll say, you know, it was the spinal cord that sent me the signal. Let's go ask the spinal cord. And then they say the brain sent me the signal. Let's go ask the brain. And the brain said the mind sent me the signal. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can run, but you can't hide. So enough of that. Nonsense. The mind is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's just an excuse that people have come up with when there are temptations that they fall for, right? And they can't fight them because they don't know how to. And please don't get out of this feeling that, you know, with age you mature and, you know, over time you will, you will not want these things. And, you know, it's something my parents tell me all the time. I say, Nonsense. Cut out that nonsense. They, you know, they, at least they used to be. They're no longer saying that now. They used to be. Uh, they used to tell me that over time, you know, it is with age that they have learned to settle down. I don't believe that. Because you were just born. You were just born. Age does nothing. 
it'll do this. It'll, it'll give you memories on which you can rely because having lived for so many years, there will be, there'll be data in your hard drives which you can refer to. And they'll have some knowledge about the way the world works and how you need to respond and the ways in which you have to behave and so on. How not to, how, you know, misbehaving, behaving and so on. That will be there. But the things that the mind does when it goes into the state of wanting and expectation, that's not going to change. So age doesn't do any of those things to people. Because it's not the mind that ages. The body does. So you have mind and you have body. When the body breaks, you have to fix it. When the mind breaks, you can fix it. And I've just proven to you that the mind does break and your mind is broken. Very simple evidence. One, things can make you angry, but you don't want to be. Yeah? You don't like being angry, do you? No one does. When your children misbehave, right? you don't like that. And the best, I, I suppose the best proof you can give when to, to prove that it's anger is not a state that you like to be in is when you're angry, you do things to relieve yourself from it, don't you? Think about it for a second. When you're angry, sometimes, you know, people, what, what do they do? When, what, what do people do when they're angry? People, people, not you. What do people do when they're angry? Hmm? They snap, yeah. So they, they'll snap at someone, shout, scream, yell, maybe hit, smash something. Are you known for that? Do people next door know that you're angry? Why do you do that? Because what does that give you? Relief, exactly. It gives you relief. So you do something to relieve yourself, meaning you don't like that state. That is why you do something to relieve. It's like going to the toilet. Why do you go to the toilet? Because you want to relieve yourself. If you liked being in that state, you wouldn't go to the toilet. In the same way, when you're angry, you relieve yourself because you don't like being in that state. So, but it, that doesn't, you're not liking it doesn't stop you from falling into it, does it? No, there you go. So you're broken. And then again, as I said, there are times where you feel desires and you know it's wrong. You shouldn't be doing it. And sometimes it's just not, it's not, it's not wrong, but it's not right either. Like, you know, when you've just had a full, you've had a full meal and someone brings out, you know, a chocolate souffle right? and you know it's bad for you. You're a diabetic. You shouldn't be having it. And then you remember, you come up with all these stories. Just a little bit won't hurt anyone. Yeah? Remember? Oh, you know, it doesn't, it's okay for diabetics to have sweet things, right? When no one's watching. Especially when the doctor's not watching. That's all right, right? It only pushes the sugar levels up when someone's watching, right? When no one's watching, it's fine, huh? Yeah, it's like when I was a young boy, huh? 
I don't know whether I told this to you, but I made a confession to my parents very recently. There was a time in my life when I decided I want to be a vegetarian. Someone or the other had told me that, you know, it's, you got, you got to be vegetarian, you know, look at all these animals. Now you got to feel sorry for them and it's because you eat, they, they're killed and so on, right? So I thought, I want to be vegetarian. So I was a pure vegetarian for about two weeks. I think I was what? Uh, 16, 17, something like that. No, even younger. Maybe 15 or 16 or something like that. So I was a pure vegetarian for about two weeks. But unfortunately, my mother's a good cook for my sins. Oh, and she makes this wonderful chicken curry. <laughs> so, for two weeks I was a pure vegetarian. And then from then on I was a vegetarian when no one was watching. <laughs> or when people were watching. And other times I became a non-vegetarian. So she would cook and she would come out and, you know, while they were, being, while they were in the living room, I, you know, I'd... I'd, I'd pop into the kitchen more so than I used to to get myself a glass of water. At least that's what I used to say. Now, you know, I, I want you to take a moment about to think about what was going on there. Right? There was a part of me that didn't want to do it because at least, you know, I, I needed to, you know, I had some principles. Right? Oh, did I? <laughs> I now wonder. I wanted to be a vegetarian, right? Because I was beginning to believe in that, right? I wanted to be a vegetarian, but there was a temptation and I couldn't fight it. So I failed. I came clean recently, about a year ago. I said, Mother, you know, Let's talk about temptation and vexation. Right? The best example I can give you is this. And she was looking at me with a, like her eyes were going to pop. I said, you did what? I said, yes, yes, I wanted to tell you this, but I didn't know how to. But, you know, now, <laughs> here you go. That's off my chest. So, you know, there was a part of me that didn't want to do it, but there was another part of me that needed it. Now, that's a very innocent example, but, you know, put yourself into situations where the same principles apply, right? Where you know you shouldn't be doing something, but you are tempted to do it. You know, on, one, on the one side, you have, you know, simple things like that. On the other hand, you have, you know, people who get into habitual things, like, you know, when you, someone becomes a, a kleptomaniac, you know, they can't stop themselves from stealing things. They have to. They know it's wrong, but they can't stop it. Or, as I said, forbidden love. You know, it breaks relationships. You know it's wrong. You know they're in an affair. I'm in an affair. It's wrong. But you can't stop it. You hear this, you know, every day, day in, day out. How sometimes, you know, perhaps maybe some of you are teachers, right? Now, one of our monks is doing a research part on this, piece on this, on how do you educate, how do you educate parents and teachers to better 
deal when children have problems. For instance, you know, you are, you, you get a child, you find that two children in your school, right, or in your classroom, they're, they're, they're in an affair. And you know it's wrong for them. At this period in time, in life, they must be focused on their education. Otherwise, you know, bad things can happen. You bring them, you try and talk to them. But if you don't understand the science of, of the mind, you don't, if you don't understand how the mind works, now you're going to use all the wrong techniques to fix them. Perhaps shouting at them, maybe punishing them, maybe detaining them. But, you know, what does a child see adults do? They're in relationships. That's why I said the other day, you know, you get, you ask your children, go do your homework and you watch TV. So what is, what's the child going to think? Hello? You want me to go do my homework? When have you ever done your homework? So they look at the adults, they look at the parents, they look at the teachers, and then they think, I, so I see, it's because I'm still a child, I have to do what everyone else tells me to do. I want to become an adult soon. So you steal children of their childhood. <clears throat> parents and teachers are guilty of this because they haven't understood, they haven't taken the time to understand the science of the mind. I think one of the first things that Teachers, parents should be taught. That should be part of their qualification to become a parent. Pre-qualification to become a parent, to become a teacher, is to help them understand how to deal with minds, not with young children. Deal with minds. It's not enough to teach them how to teach science or math or English or whatever, languages. You've got to teach them how to, how to deal with minds. Because that's a, that's a science. That is what the Buddha taught us. How do you deal with minds? So you see, sometimes, you know, what parents will do, they'll punish their children, won't they? I've been punished, you've been punished. Hmm? Sometimes teachers, if they tell the child to do something, they don't. Whack! Cane treatment. Now, see, and there's, there's something really bad about it also. We say that the child grows up learning, you know, it's terrible for a child to learn, to, to grow up learning, Violence. Yeah? So what does the teacher or the parent teach the child? If someone doesn't do what you want them to do, yes, yes, huh? then hurt them. See what a, what a message you, you give? If someone doesn't do what you want them to do, especially if they're weak and you're strong, hmm? then hurt them and get them to do what you want them to do. That's the message that you give. This is not an argument about whether parents should be punishing their children or not. I think punishment can be more creative. I'm not saying we are against punishment. I'm saying punishment can be more creative and more productive, more, more intelligent. We don't need to resort to you know, corporal punishment. But that still happens out there. I know it's it's forbidden, you know, against the law and all that, but, you know, behind closed doors, people don't know what's going on. These things happen. But that is what parents, you know, you're teaching by example. You tell them don't do it, but then you do it. So, that's that. So, you need to understand then, how does the mind work? 
First, so that you can fix yourself, and second, you can help the people around you. Now, the mind has a purpose. Like all things I was saying, has a purpose. Without a purpose, none of things, none of these things would be would come into existence. The mind has a purpose. That is why the mind comes into existence. What is that purpose? The purpose of the mind is very much like a news reporter. A news reporter's job is not to give his or her opinion on things, is it? No. A news reporter's job is simply to inform. Inform. We report, you decide. Hmm? That is the news reporter's job. This is the mind's job. That is why I say, this gives you birth. In other words, when sound comes into contact with one of your faculties, and in this case the ear, the mind or a thought is born simply to acknowledge that. That is how you know that you've just heard something. Imagine you were a computer, and we are studying how this computer works, and that is what I'm trying to explain to you here. You are born as a result of sound coming into contact with the ear. Right, now fill in this sentence for me then. You are born when connects eye and sight, when eye comes into contact with sight, when smell comes into contact with nose, when tongue comes into contact with taste, right? And when touch comes into contact with the physical body, right? These are the events which trigger a thought. So therefore, a thought's purpose is simply to acknowledge, to acknowledge the event that has just happened. So in other words, this is how you know that things are going on around you. This is you one-on-one. At its very simplest, most basic, this is how you are born. So you can understand what's going on around you. Now, but then how do you know that this is a knock? And this is a, that's a saucer. This is a, this is a piece of glass. For that, the mind has to do some processing. You've heard this before. You've heard this before. Therefore, there are fragments of this in memory. So when the mind is born, when a thought is born, it has to go into memory and check, have I heard this before? Have I, have I come across this before? That knowledge you bring back from memory. So now you know what you have heard. What's the problem then? The problem is when you go beyond that. The problem is when you have certain things that you like to hear and there are things you don't like to hear. The problem is when you see, when there are things that you like to see and there are things you don't like to see. The problem is when there are things you like to smell and you like to taste and there are things that you don't like to. Aren't we all in that situation? There are things you like and there are things you don't like. In other words, what you've done is you have taken this whole world, you split it in half and you've said, half the world makes me happy, the other half makes me unhappy. God didn't create the world for you to be unhappy. You're all God's children, right? So God created the world and everything in it to make you happy. 
So why then do you say that half the world makes me happy and the other half makes me unhappy? That's not God's doing. That's when you go to do God's job. When you go beyond what you are supposed to do and you start doing something that you are not supposed to do, that's what happens. You've split the world in half and you've said, this half makes me happy, the other half makes me unhappy. Why do you do that to yourself? Indeed. Ignorance. Ignorance that there are things in this world, in other words, there's, there's a half in this world that makes you happy. The moment you accept that knowledge, that, that, that teaching or that instruction, now there is that half that makes you happy and there's another half that makes you unhappy. You put yourself into this situation. You know, this is all to help you work out what's happened to you. We are all here, for one thing, we are all here to free ourselves. But to free ourselves, we need to understand where the shackles are. We need to understand where we are tied, where, where, the, where the lock is, so that we can unlock ourselves. This is the lock. This is where the shackles are. This is where you have to untie yourself. You are happy by default. But it is this knowledge that has been fed into your mind that happiness is something that you need to go after. The moment you hear that, now you're on your feet and you're going after it. Have you seen the carrot and the donkey? Does a donkey have the carrot in its mouth? No, because that would defeat the purpose, wouldn't it? The carrot is always one step ahead of the donkey. Meaning the donkey is one step always behind the carrot. What does that give you? What, is, what does that make happen? How do you get a donkey going? Come on, speak up. <laughs> How do you get a donkey going? Get the carrot and tie it to its back, right? Or so it's dangling over its head, but by the mouth? No. A bit further away, but the donkey should be able to smell it, but not chew it, not take a bite of it. Because the donkey can smell it, it smells the carrot, it moves forward, hoping that what it can smell it can now take a bite. But can it? No. But it can still smell it. So what does it do? It takes another step forward. And then it takes another step forward. And it then takes another step forward. That's how you get a donkey to move. Isn't that right? See, the donkey never stops. I'm just taking the metaphor. <laughs> the donkey never stops because he's ever hopeful. The next step will help me get it. Just one more. I know the next step and I, I'm going to get it. Because you can smell it. It's just there, you know, dangling in front of its face. Hopelessly hopeful. That hopefulness is hopeless. But it's still hopeful, nonetheless. 
So hopelessly hopeful. So one step forward, and it just goes dangling like this, right? And every time it moves, uh, it moves itself, right? That you know, it just you know, like a pendulum, it swings in front of it, and then yeah, that's what it does. So close, yet so far. How do you know it's so far? How far can you get a donkey to move with that sort of contrapment? As far as you like. That's why I say it's so far. You can get a donkey to travel miles and miles and miles, but so close. Isn't that what's happening in your lives? You're always hopeful, yeah, that the next thing is going to make you happy. That is why, you know, you can never stop in life. Think about the richest man in the world. <clears throat> do you think he stopped? When do you think he can stop? When he comes here. Because this is where everyone comes to stop. The Buddha's asking them. Think about the most beautiful person in the world, like man or woman. Do you think they can stop? You know, let's say a, a woman, she wins uh, Miss Universe, right, or Mrs. Universe, whatever. Do you think she stops then? She can't stop. Because once you've got that, there's the next thing that you need, you know. Because first they started with what you call a at the New Year festival, right? Aurdu Kumari. That's where it all started. Did she stop there? No, she can't stop there. Next they have, nah, after Aurdu Kumari, what do you have? Uh, maybe Miss Sri Lanka. Yeah, so you have to get picked. Right? Then, then you have Miss World. This is evidence that it's not enough because you first had Miss World. Then you had what? Miss? Universe. What's the difference between Miss World and Miss Universe? I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. What's the difference between Miss World and Miss Universe? Hmm? Did they get contestants from Mars? I mean, they didn't even stop at Miss Solar System, did they? They had to go big, as big as big could be. I mean, if the aliens found out, they'd sue us. You know, how dare you do a Miss Universe and crown this woman, right, when you didn't even give us invitations to attend to the competitions? Honestly, tell me, what is the difference between Miss World and Miss Universe? I get Miss Sri Lanka, okay, so you have Miss Sri Lanka, Miss India, Miss America, Miss Australia, Miss, uh, you know, Zimbabwe, wherever. You have all the Misses in the Zimbabwe and throughout the world. That I get, but what's the difference between Miss World and Miss Universe? Exactly. The difference is, it was never enough. It's not enough. You have to go to the next thing. You have to go to the next thing. Yeah, this is what I'm trying to show you. This is an insatiable appetite. It's an insatiable appetite. It's an unquenchable thirst. Typical donkey carrot scenario. 
insatiable, unquenchable, never enough, always try again, try again, try again, try again. I mean, you should be a donkey to fall for that kind of nonsense. Are you? I'm not saying anything. You know, I have a good teacher, right? You know, the thing is, I, I walked in those shoes. That's why I, I talk to you from the bottom of my heart. Honestly, I'm, I'm talking to you in these words because I want you to realize this, ladies and gentlemen. You don't deserve to suffer like this. You don't deserve to be in this trap. I want you to open your eyes and come out of this maze. Don't let other people donkey you around. Don't let other people fool you around. And they don't do it out of spite. They do it because they don't, they are none the wiser. You can only teach someone else what you already know to be true. Yeah? They don't do it out of spite. But this is the truth. You're always one step behind happiness. Therefore, but you want happiness and you think it's out there. So therefore, you will never stop going after happiness. That is the story of your life. That is the story of your life. Ham loke dil ki kahani. Yes, I'm learning Hindi as well. The story of our life. I'm learning Hindi because it's not enough for you to, to talk to you people. There are other people out there, they also need our help. There are people across the continents, across the Atlantic, they also need our help because they're all, it's the same story. They're doing different things. You're eating chapati, they're eating fajitas. That might be different. You're eating string hoppers, you know, they may be eating biryani. That's the difference. Just different object, same purpose. Always one step behind happiness, happiness one step ahead. We need to open our eyes and, you know, let these words at least, you know, leave an impression on you so that you, when you walk out this room, you, you think about it. You know, is that, is that true what he said? Is that true? How does that, does that resonate with me? Does that ring true with me? Hmm? How, how old am I? All the things I've done in my life so far and I'm still here today. What have I achieved? You, if you if you count your success by all the accomplishments you've made outside and the, all the accolades that you have managed to win, all the certificates that people have given you, and all the venerations and the worship that people offer you at your feet, right, that is simply that is simply a decoration. And when you are gone, they will come and give you a good eulogy. Right? They will put a nice sheath around your coffin, right, and they'll say, yeah, "Well done." And they'll say, "You know, this man he'll never be forgotten." But what have you actually achieved? 
What have you actually achieved? Have you actually achieved contentment? If even on your deathbed, your question is, what next? What else can I do? Now, this might, this might, for some people, this will come around as very negative. Isn't that what we are supposed to be doing? Isn't that the purpose of our life? Isn't, you know, is it not the next, next venture, the next business, the next enterprise that we should be after? You know that you don't have to be here to do it, right? Someone else can always do it. Like if you are not in your position, in your, say, company or wherever, the moment you vacate your position, someone else will come and take it. So that is to prove that it doesn't have to be you. Someone else can always and will always take it. The most powerful king, right? You vacate that position, someone else will come and take the throne. I mean, to heck with it, you know, there are lots of people who are always looking for that opportunity. And it's not just things like that. Even, you know, say a couple married. Do you know how many people are looking forward to your death so that they can get married to your other half? That's because you haven't told them the reality. (laughs) There will be people eyeing up your wife, eyeing up your husband, thinking, you know, if only. So it doesn't have to be you. Meaning, it will, you know, someone else will come and take that position. Someone else will pick up the reins and someone else can drive it. But, so therefore, these are not things that you do unto yourself. These are all things you're doing for others. That is why someone else can also do it. But the one thing that you have to do for yourself, no one else can do. That is the true test. Whatever you do, if someone else can also do it, then that's not something you're doing for yourself. It's something you're doing for others. You're a teacher. You teach math. Right? You retire. You think the class is not going to get another teacher? The assistant teacher is looking forward to to your retirement so that they can get a promotion and come and take that role and start doing the job. Hmm? You're the senior lecturer. You take a step back. You go on a sabbatical. You think during that time they're not going to have someone to take the class? Someone else will come and take it. You're the head surgeon. Hmm? Once you retire, then who's going to come? The next guy is going to come and take that seat. You're the president of the country. What happens? Are you the only one who can do that? No. So if ever someone else can replace you, it means it's a job that someone's doing for others. But there's one job. If you give up on that, no one else can take it up on your behalf. And that is what you do for yourself. I'm not saying you all got to be selfish because, of course, you know, in the same vein, I'll be telling you, stop thinking about yourself and start doing for others. So this is why, you know, you might think, you might think, well, aren't you contradicting Swami Nansa? Previously you said stop thinking about yourself, do for others, and now you're saying don't do for yourself, or don't do for others, do for yourself. I think we've, we've addressed this previously, right? Do unto yourself for others. My teacher asked me a, a good question, or rather I, I answered the question, something like that. You know, what I explained to her was, 
The first thing that happened to me, oh, I just remembered, I made a mistake there, didn't I? I said, Hamara Hamloka Dil ki kahani, should be Hamloka Jeevan ki kahani. Thank you. And that Mr. Sagar here will not uh, be very happy. We have the first Anagarika who's joined us from India. So this message is reaching out there as well. So hopefully he's the first of many. He was asking me the other day, Swaminas, so you've got to preach to all these people in India. I said, why should I? See, I make mistakes. Right, what was I talking about? Oh, yes. Ah, I was talking to my teacher, right? Yes. So I said, you know, the first thing that happened to me when I started to absorb the Dhamma was I started to become a, a better human being. That's the first thing that started to happen. I became a better friend. I was married then and I became a better husband. I became a better son. If I were, a, if I had been a parent, I would have become a better father. I became, in fact, a better employee at the workplace. I became a better citizen. I became a better human being. How so? And I have a theory. <clears throat> in each of these positions, in each of these roles that we play in our lives, right? we do it not simply because we want to do something for others, because there is a part of it that we do for ourselves. We do it because it makes us happy. We do it because it satisfies something within us. So therefore, there will be times where there's the right thing and the thing that you want to do. Now let's take a simple example of, let's say, you know, take a teacher in a classroom, right? There's a child in the class playing up, right? Mischievous, not wanting to listen to the teacher, not interested in the lesson. Now, the art of this is for a teacher to, to be able to control themselves and not be angry, right? Because if you become angry now, you're going to inflict your anger as punishment on the child. I think anyone who's been a teacher in their life will know when you're angry, you shouldn't be punishing your, your students. And parents know this. When you, if you're angry, you shouldn't be punishing your children because then your punishment is not for the wrongdoing, but rather as a vent for your anger means you're doing the wrong thing. Because the child's not responsible for your anger, is he? The child might be responsible for what wrong they've done, but they're not responsible for your anger. Who's responsible for that? The donkey is. So you shouldn't be punishing the child for that. Yeah? But, you see, again, back into that old situation where you know it's wrong, but you can't do anything about it because deep inside you're bubbling with anger now. And you, you pick up that cane and you, you, you know, at that time common sense out the window... Right? Sometimes now you might whack that child, you might hit the child, you might punish the child, and later on you will regret. Perhaps you might say, I shouldn't have done that. Maybe you will be called for a, for, you know, a disciplinary, and then they'll ask you, why did you do that? I'm sorry, I just, I just lost it. I was very angry about at that time, you know, I had so much I had to get done, you know, we were behind on our syllabus, I had to get the lesson done, and this child was just, you know, misbehaving in the class. I told him once, told him twice, told him three times, and then after that I just completely lost it. I'm so sorry. 
well, sorry, it's too little, too late now. The damage has been done. What would have been better is if you were able to not be angry in the first place. The punishment would still have been done, but that would be punishment for the wrongdoing, not for your anger. This is where you need to get to. That's why I say, you know, the first thing that parents, teachers should be taught is the Dhamma. At least as alongside whatever whatever lessons they take, whatever teaching they receive, whatever instruction they, they go through, you know, to, to be a good teacher. I think teachers and parents they should be they should be taught the Dhamma. So they understand how do they not become angry. So I was explained to my teacher, the reason that I became a better citizen, the reason I became a better employee, the reason I became a better husband is because I was able to understand what was expected, what was needed of me and deliver that without thinking about what was in it for me. Because whenever we get into a relationship, into a, in, into a transaction, there's always a what's in it for me, right? What's in it for me? I mean, this is something you learn in business, particularly. When you when you want to sell something to someone, if you've ever worked in sales, like one of the first things they'll tell you is, there's an acronym for it. It's called WIFM. I don't know if you've ever come across it. WIFM. What's in it for me? Right? So they say, whenever you want to sell something to a customer, this is basic business skills, always show the customer what's in it for them. Don't talk about what's in it for you. because That's not going to interest the customer. So, but whenever we go into that kind of relationship, we get, when you go into a, into a transaction, if there's always something that's in it for you, then you're not doing it wholeheartedly and 100% for the benefit of the other person. That's why our relationships suffer. That's why family relationships break down. Because you're not always open. You're not always 100% honest. You're not committed in the other person's benefit. There's always something in it for you. So, through the understanding of Dhamma, the sense of self, this feeling that there's a you that needs to be satisfied, your cravings, your expectations, your desires, they start to, they start to extinguish. First they diminish, and then eventually they extinguish. And at that moment, where previously you would have two parties to satisfy. As a duty, as, a ref- as your responsibility, you have two parties to satisfy. This party to whom you have the responsibility, and this party that is you. You're both trying to get something out of this. Right? But where, where you can take out this party from the equation, now you, al- you only have that party. This is why I say, serve you in the service of others. Look after yourself so that your cravings, your attachments, your desires, once they can be exterminated, now there's only one thing that you want to do, you need to do, and that is to help others. But when there's, there's others and when there's you, now they both have to compete. And sometimes that can be a conflict of interest. Actually, not just sometimes, most of the time there's a conflict of interest. Whether that is sales you're talking about, whether that's a husband-wife relationship you're talking about, 
the more you can give yourself to, to others, the better that bond is going to be, right? We, we know this stuff. But what we don't know is, how do we not think about ourselves? That we, we struggle with. Without the Dhamma, you struggle with that. Because you're always there. How can you not think about the person who's always there with you? Right? You see your wife when she's there. You see your children when, when they're there. You see your mother when she's there. But you, you're always there. So, the teaching is, not the Buddha's teaching, the teaching is, stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about others. So be selfless. Don't be, self, don't be selfish. Be selfless. But you're always there. And how can you avoid the elephant in the room? It's always there. So whenever someone's there, they have expectations, they have desires, they have wantings, they have needs that have to be satisfied. This is why in the Buddha's teaching, we teach you how you can do this. How you can go from that, from a someone to a no one. From somebody to a nobody. That happens when you start to work on those attachments, on those desires, on those cravings. And then when you're not there any longer, now all there is left to serve are others. Everyone out there. This is what the Buddha did. In becoming a Buddha, what he did was, he exterminated himself. So he worked really hard on himself. To exterminate himself. And once that was done, his entire life then on was in the service of others. So now if you ever were perplexed or confused about what I was saying earlier, Aminanza, you say look after, you know, do for others, then you say do for yourself. This is what I mean. For as long as you are there in the picture, you can't ignore, you can't ignore yourself. So you have to serve, you have to do Partly at least something that well, in, in, every, in everything what you do, you have to do some of it for yourself and the rest for others. The bigger you are, the lesser you do for others. So therefore, the lesser you are, the bigger you can do for others. That is what I have committed my life to today. Back in the day, you know, I had so much that I wanted to do for myself. I was obsessed with all the things that I needed to get done for myself. All the riches I wanted, all the places I wanted to go to, all the experiences that I needed in my life. My, 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 and my. Me, me, and me, and me, and that's all there was. But I was a good guy. I was. No, honestly, I was. You know, my friends liked to hang around with me, right? I, I was a nice guy. But I liked being nice. That is how I got my kicks, being the nice guy. You know, if two people were in an altercation, some kind of argument, I would be the guy who would go and settle it. And then I'd get credit from both parties. I saw, I saw, I said, don't mention it. It's, it's all right. It wasn't me. When inside, I'm like, yeah, it was all me. <laughs> Am I the only one? Then I sold the donkey. Honestly, folks, you know, as I say, this is coming from the bottom of my heart. I, I want you all to free yourselves. For as long as you are there, you cannot ignore yourself. You have to feed yourself. You have to look after yourself. And when you have to look after yourself, you really can't look after the other people that matter. 
are the people who need you, who need your love, who need your compassion, who need your kindness, because there's always you to look after. You're like a crying baby. You always have to look after yourself. Doesn't stop crying, doesn't stop nagging. Always there. Even in your sleep, you're there. Like in your sleep, you can shut out from everybody else, but you're still there. So like a mother who has to commit herself throughout her life, you know, to that one child, you have to commit yourself to yourself. All your time to yourself. So what do I mean by working on yourself? It is working on fixing, killing, indeed. You know, I'm talking about suicide. This is probably one talk that's not going to get online. <laughs> People are probably going to start reporting. <laughs> Inappropriate. <laughs> I'm talking about suicide. I'm talking about freeing yourself from all those vexations, attachments, right? Freeing yourself from those desires so you can be at peace. Let the mind be on its own. Let the mind be at peace. Whenever the mind has expectations and desires and cravings and wantings, right? now it has to relieve itself from all that. So therefore it has to keep going after this thing, that thing, the other thing. There's no rest. That is why you still haven't found rest. That is why after so many years of having roamed this planet, you're still not at rest. Isn't that why they build a tomb for you? And they say, finally, huh? rip. <laughs> yeah? That, you know, that's where people go to rest. That's why they say, finally, rest in peace. Why does it have to be that way? Why can't you be at rest while you're still alive? It's possible. That's what we're doing. We are at rest. I shared with you the other day, uh, you know, a little conversation I was having with someone. You know, I said, ladies and gentlemen, you have everything and I have nothing. So why have you come to me? I have nothing to give you. So why have you come to me? I'll tell you why you have come to me. Because I have nothing. I have nothing that keeps me up at night. That is what I have nothing of. I have nothing that bothers me. I have nothing that hurts me. I have nothing that annoys me. I have nothing that frustrates me. What do you have? Things that keep you up at night? Things that annoy you? Things that frustrate you? Things that disappoint you? Things that make you angry? See, so what's the point of having anything if at the end of the day what they do is annoy, bother, frustrate and peeve you off? The very things that you went after in the hope that they were going to make you happy are the things that today bother you. Every possession that you have today are possessions that are a weight on your shoulders. From your children, to your home, to your job, to your car, to the watch that you wear on your wrist, to the phone that you have in your pocket, to your keys, to your jewelry. Every single thing. You are not just the owner you're also the guardian. Wherever there's attachment, you're always in either one, or two, one of two states of suffering. Either you're in the state of, oh, how I wish I had it, or you're in the state of, now what? What if? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if the, what if the other happens? 
So you, you know, you're just simply jumping from one to the other. Would you agree? You want something you don't have? Now your life is a, is a journey, is a quest to get it, right? How, how can I get it? You're struggling. You're, you're, you want to go after it. You want to get it somehow. Once you get it, now it's a case of what might happen to it. Huh? What's going to happen to it? How do I save it from that happening? How do I keep it safe? See, you're always in one of two states. Take a mother and a child for a very simple example. That's the, the same example I gave to my teacher yesterday. You know, take a mother and a child. I said, Madam, you know, when a mother, when a, when a, when a woman wants a child, right? Now she's thinking about how can I have a child? How, you know, how can I, what do I need to do? What if the child, you know, what, what if I don't conceive? What if I'm, I'm not well enough? You know, what if I don't take the right nutrients? What, what if this, what if that, what if the other, and so on. And then finally she's with child. Now she gives birth to a child. And then from that day onwards, what is her life? What if? What if this happens to her? What if that happens to her? You know, what if the other thing happens to her? How do I keep her safe? So she's gone from loss to fear. Fear to loss. Loss to fear. Even when you didn't have it, loss. Right? So you can either have something and lose it, or while you wait, that is also loss. And then once you have it, now fear. So fear and loss. See? Loss to fear, fear to loss. Loss to fear, fear to loss. For as long as there is craving, there's always going to be fear and there's always going to be loss. Or grievance. Not grievance rather, but grief. Grief and fear. These are the two things that you have to keep jumping around. Is this not true about everything in your life? I'm asking you. Just take a moment to think about it. Every single thing in your life you're either in grief because you didn't have it or you don't have it, or you're in fear that you might lose it. It's not the thing that's bringing you this pain. Just as much as it's not the thing that's bringing you the pleasure. It's your attachment. That is why this philosophy, ladies and gentlemen, is not to... We never ask you to give up all the things that you have in your life. Never, never, never. If I ever ask you to do that, then I've gone wrong. I'm not asking you to give up all the things that you have worked so hard, all the possessions you have. I'm not asking you to give up on any of those things. You might ask me then, Swaminas, why did you become a monk and leave everything behind? This is simply a personal lifestyle that I have chosen, just as much as anyone can choose their lifestyle. I have chosen this because it's simpler. That's why. I told you the number of hours I had to spend ironing my trousers to get to work. I don't have to do that anymore. Two robes I own, that's all I have to worry about. One arm spoil, that's all I have to worry about. I don't have dishes that need washing. I don't have a, I don't have a room that needs to be washed and cleaned and, you know, cobwebs taken out every single day. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have a hundred shirts or two hundred pairs of trousers to worry about. I don't have shoes that I have to polish every day. It's just a simpler life. That's what this is about. But my monkhood is not my robe. This is simply a lifestyle. My monkhood is my approach to life, is my attitude to life. It's where I am free from the desires that I used to have, the desires that kept me up, craving that, that suffered, that made me suffer. So in your lives, I'm not asking you to give up anything except attachment. Keep all the possessions. Have the comforts that you have become, you know, acclimatized to. Keep them. That's okay. Drive your car. 
Live in your home. If you have a swimming pool at home, hey, well done. Use it. If you have a tennis court, make use of it. Keep yourself fit. Because this is a body that needs tending to. That's alright. You don't have to downs- downsize. That's not what I'm asking you to do. But there'll come a point in your life where you begin to wonder, do I have to do all this just to survive? Do I have to do all this just to exist? Or am I simply putting aside valuable time? You know, that's that's perhaps one of the, the main reasons that I chose why I chose this lifestyle. Because I know time is the most precious thing I have. First the Dhamma and then time. Time without Dhamma is meaningless. Animals have that. Dhamma without time is again meaningless because without the time, how you know how are you going to practice it, how are you going to apply it? Right now, when I found the Dhamma, I realized now my time has more meaning to it. Previously, you could buy my time. You know, previously you could buy my time. You could demand, can I have an hour of your time, and I'll give you two thousand dollars. I'd say not for two thousand. Let's negotiate if you want. Otherwise, I'll walk away. Right, fine. Three and a half thousand? Right, you got a deal. You could buy my time. Now I don't sell it. Because it's priceless. You can't buy it. Because now I have the Dhamma. The presence of Dhamma has made my time priceless. Now my time is not up for sale. You know, let me tell you this is perhaps one of the last few things I'm going to say, say to you today. Lately, recently, some of my friends from school came down. Remember yesterday I said I went and met my teacher? Some of my, some of my friends from school came down and then someone sent me a message while I was up there. Some friends have come. Please would you come in? see them. Apparently they were very closest friends. They sat next to you at school right? and they've come to see you. What do you think I did? I didn't go. Because my time is more precious than that. But I come here. I come here to talk to you. But you and I, we were not friends at school. I said, ask them what they want. If they want the truth, there are Swami says down in the Dhamma Hall who can give them the truth. If they have come to see me, I have better things to be doing with my time. You might think that's very selfish. Yes, I need to work on myself so I can serve you. Because what they wanted to do was to come and just have a chit-chat. Past times, you know, what did we do back then? You know, why did you decide to go become a monk, this, that, and the other? That's what they wanted. But if they wanted the truth, they were there. So why am I doing this sermon here? Because this message has to reach far and wide. I've told you, I'm talking to the camera. You're here and you hear me because I'm talking to the camera. 
this sermon is not really for you. Because you understand Sinhala. A language in which we can convey the Buddha's message far more clearly, far more precisely, more accurately than in, in this tongue. So I'm doing this to get the Buddha's message. A message that you can hear loud and clear. I could speak to you in Sinhala. Guru Swami Nwansi does that far better than I can ever do. So you have that gift already. This sermon is for those people out there. That is why we have this fine gentleman today here. Because these sermons were preached in English. You're here and so you take advantage of that. There may be one or two of you in the audience for whom you might struggle a little bit if this was preached in Sinhala or without an English sermon. But the vast majority, you don't really need this in English. This is why I didn't go to meet my friends. Because to me, today I'm not looking for a best friend. I'm not want, I don't want to be a friend to someone. I just want to be the person that can transfer this. This, this is the thing of value, not me. This. This is the truth that set me free, not me. If this set me free, this will set you free. I can't do anything for you. I can't set you free. The truth will set you free. The Dhamma will set you free. The Buddha was simply the source of the Dhamma. The Mahasangha is simply the vehicle that carries the Dhamma. Your refuge is the Dhamma, not me. That's what I'm saying. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a nicer guy than I used to be. <clears throat> because perhaps in my lay life, maybe before my understanding of the Dhamma, I would have, I would have been thrilled at the opportunity. Perhaps the opportunity to be praised. Hmm? Maybe the opportunity to have, a, have an audience. So I could come and talk to an audience and impress. But that's not what I'm here for. I'm only here to transfer the Dhamma to you. Because it is the Dhamma that's going to set you free. The Dhamma did that to me, the Dhamma will do that to you. That's why I say, you know, I speak from the bottom of my heart and I speak... Each of these words is as genuine as they can be. I need you folks to get the Dhamma. Nothing in this world can make you suffer. Suffering is a choice. Suffering is your choice. Just as much as freedom is your choice. So never ever find yourself pointing your finger at someone and saying, you are the cause of my suffering. You are who made me angry. This is what annoyed me. No, that's not the way it is. Annoy me if you can. I challenge you. Annoy me if you can. Make me angry if you can. <laughs> I challenge you. Just because I frown doesn't mean I'm angry. You can ask our Anagarikas and Anagarikas. 
I'll frown. How dare you do something like that? Huh? Is that what I asked you to do? Good for that. I can frown and smile in the same sentence. Make me angry if you can. Annoy me if you can. That is not my magic. That is the Dhamma. That is why I have respect for you because you are here today looking for the Dhamma. This is the place where you will stop. Stop what? Not rebirth. Stop being angry. This is the place where you will stop being annoyed. This is the place where you will stop having lustful desires which are forbidden, which are wrong, which you want to get out of. This is the place where you will stop your addictions. That is why soon enough we'll have the rehabilitation center going up. Many young people these days, they are being punished for the sin of not being able to understand the Dhamma. And their punishment is locking them up into, in, in a prison cell. You know, we, we are a country who suffer from brain drain. Uh, young people, knowledgeable people, educated, intelligent people, they leave us. As I once did. But I'm back. I'm back to serve the people that looked after me. And brought me and helped me stand up on my own two feet and helped me become who I am today. And we are a people who would, would be grateful and, and would do wonders if half of the people in those prisons in the rehabilitation centers, the drug rehabilitation centers, were able to be released back into society. But you can't do it the way they are. They need help. Eighty percent of all treatment plans don't work because in six months they're back in there again. These are confessions that are made by the authorities themselves, not things that I'm making up. More than half of all our prisoners in prisons are people who've gone there because they've done drugs. Today we understand that this is the place where addiction stopped. We have the medicine. Because we know how the mind works. We know how to get the mind to stop wanting things. How to relieve the mind of attachment. How to, how to free the mind from desire. We've got the medicine for that. That's why we want to do that for society. You're all part of that. As I say, you know, parents, teachers, you know, the, 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 the two main pillars of any society, right? They are our strength. They are, they are the people who shape our future of our country. They are the people who, who, who shape the future of our, uh, who shape our future by, by bringing up children and, and transforming them into, you know, Exemplary people, citizens, they need to be armed with the Dhamma. You can help make that happen. Whoever you are, wherever you are, now in whatever capacity, I know there are teachers here, there are parents here. I asked all the young people to start learning a language and I hope you have now. Whatever language it might be, right? Take up a language. Parents, I think this is one of the best things you can do for your children. Get them to start learning another language. If they know three languages now, get them to start learning a fourth language. Not so that they can do a, go and do business. If they do that, then that's up to them. But they can earn tremendous merits 
by taking the Buddha's message out to people there. There are 500 million Spaniards, people who only speak Spanish. They know and they don't know any other language. That's why I have invested my time and we had, we have invested our time in learning Spanish so that we can take the Buddha's message to them. You know, at our monastery, we learn Korean, we learn Japanese, we learn German, we learn Spanish, we learn Tamil, we learn English, just to name a few. We learn Hindi, we learn Telugu, just to name a few. And counting. Because there are people out there who need this truth. Because they all need to come and stop here. In the Buddha Sasana. I don't mean they have to all become monks and nuns. What I mean is let them be wherever they are. If they all came here, we'd have nowhere to put them. Let them be where they are. But suffering is a choice that they are making right now. Only because they don't know that it is a choice. That is why they make that choice. Don't you have pity for them? Someone's making the choice of suffering because they don't know that it's a choice. I want to teach them that it's a choice and they can choose not to. They can choose not to suffer. So let's do that for them. But to do that for them, you have to do it for yourself first. You know, if you want to heal the world, make it a better place for you and for me and for everybody else. As Michael Jackson once said, then make the world a better place. Become the change you want to see first. Whatever you are, wherever you are, whoever you are, in whatever capacity, you know, even the youngest Buddha here, even the youngest Buddha here, you know, it is in their power to make an impact on this world. That's why right at the beginning I start to ask you this one question. Think for a moment about the impact you've had in people's lives. That's the first question I posed to you, right, at the start of the sermon today. Think about the impact you've had in people's lives. You might have helped them live a more luxurious, a more comfortable life, a worldly life, but you didn't help them to find where to stop. Stop suffering, stop anger, stop annoyance, stop frustration, stop stop desire, stop lustful desires. You, you didn't teach them how to do that because you didn't know. You're not to blame. But today you do. So now it is it is your responsibility. It is the responsibility of the Kalanavata, the noble lineage, to do this. The Aryans back in the day did it. The Maharatan Mahansas back in the day did it. And that is why we have that gift today. So rather than simply calling ourselves Buddhists for the namesake, let's become ambassadors for that. It is our job to do that. Let us become evangelists. Let us carry the Buddha's message to those who suffer because they don't know it's a choice. I want you all to be part of that. Do whatever you can to be part of that. But the most important thing you need to do is work on yourself first. If you are angry, you can't help someone else not be angry. If you can be bothered, you can't help someone else not be bothered. You can't help someone out of the pit when you are also in it. First, you've got to get out. That is the Buddha's example, the first example he gave. He first took himself out and then his life was committed to helping others come out of it. I want to leave you with that. 
I touched very briefly on the science of how the mind works because I think the most of you know it, but we we need to talk about it more and more. But I don't know. Something said that I needed to tell these things to you. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it comes from because I don't come prepared with an agenda. It's whatever flows, flows. So perhaps there's some of you who needed me to remind you what your purpose is here as human beings. So let's do that. You are a very valuable person to this planet. I, I know you don't understand the, the weight of those words as much as I do. You don't understand how precious you are. You don't understand how valuable you are. You, I know, and I, and I know you don't understand it to the extent with which I, I wish to convey those words to you. You think, yeah, yeah, of course, yes, yes, you know, I'm a father, yes, so I must be valuable. I'm a teacher, so yeah, I must be valuable. You don't know what I mean when I say that. You have infinite value to this world. Because you are a disciple of the Buddha. You are someone who carries his message. The message that every man, woman and child in this world are longing for, are waiting for, are yearning for. They are all suffering because you still haven't given them that message. Now whose fault is it that they are suffering? Yours. So get up on your feet. Do service to yourself first. And then start spreading the Buddha's message. There are mothers out there, fathers out there, young children out there who are suffering. You can't change their past. There may be young children who have been raped. You can't change their past. No one of, none of us can change our past. There may be women out there who have been subject to domestic violence. You can't change their past. You may be, there may be people out there who live daily in the fear of being threatened or maybe harmed, or maybe killed or murdered by gangsters. You can't change their past. You can't go to Mexico and bring them all here. They're going to be there. But at least you can tell them, you can teach them that, ladies and gentlemen, suffering is a choice. Let other people come and do anything they want to your body, but they can't touch my mind. You can become invincible with the Dhamma. So that is your duty. To the Buddha, not to me. If you claim to be a Sravaka, if you claim to be a disciple of the Buddha, if you bring your hands together and say, Namutasa Bhagavato, Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa, then be a carrier of his message. That is the best veneration and mark of respect that you can do for him. Like a child who loves his parents, who loves his father, does what his father asks of him as a mark of respect for his father. Right? You, if you consider yourselves to be children of the, of the Buddha, do what he asked of you. There's no point in just bringing flowers, lighting the oil lamps, right, dicing the joysticks. You can worship day and worship him day and night. You're not really worshiping him, that's just a stone figure. But if you really become a carrier of the Buddha's message, first do it for yourself and help others achieve that. Now you are a living and walking Buddha in today's era. That is your purpose. I'm going to leave it to you. Leave you with that for today. <clears throat> okay. Let us take a moment then to transfer the merits and conclude today's talk. May the merits that we have all acquired today. 
by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting period, listening to the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to all those who deserve them. First and foremost, reminding ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. With immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Sripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us transfer these merits to Guru Swami Nuhanse as well as all the teachers resident at the monastery, as well as the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these talks, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them, and may through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plains. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, may they fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their will wishes. May to the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. So, so, so. Let us also take a moment to transfer to our mothers, fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers, employees and to all those who have helped us, supported us and assisted us along the way. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to our devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhudasasana. Let us transfer merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may through the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us, and to all those who have been our families, friends, and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in samsara, and to those who helped, supported, and assisted us along the way. Let us take a moment to transfer merits to the members of the armed forces, as well as the police force, who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation, and may all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us transfer merits to those who have lost their lives to natural calamities such as the tsunamis, earthquakes, landslides and pandemics, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey in samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them, and may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plains. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us all resolve that may through the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, 
We be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arhants on this blessed land. And finally, may through the power and blessings of all the means we have acquired throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an arahatan muhanse, an arahatheran in muhanse, in this very life itself, and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sad, sad, sad. May the blessings of the noble triple gem be with you all. The members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you.